Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark Let's open up the spark Welcome to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell, and we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you are an OG member of the Spark File community, Welcome back, Sparkler. Oh, listen to Laura Cammy and squeaky <laughs> little squeakers. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, new friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful clan of creatives. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? A Spark File is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know if you're not careful, your campfire of creativity can flicker out. But don't despair. We're collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity to light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a glimpse into the future of creativity, which is, spoiler alert, happening right now. Oh, I'm intrigued. (laughs) Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. That means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. We sure do. So if something lights you up, we encourage you to take that thing and make something out of it. And without further ado, let's open up the, the spark, spark pile.
file. Hi, Laura Camion. How are you feeling over there? Hi, Suze. I'm feeling just fine. I'm just squeaking. And you know what I need to do? I feel like I want to apologize for that intro. When I get excited, the squeaks are worse. But then when I, if I just settle down, then I feel like I'm going really slow and taking too much time. So that's that's the limbo that I'm living in right now. Just like a limbo of self-consciousness. Uh-huh. That doesn't sound like any fun. You sound like an adorable, sexy cartoon mouse. <laughs> Thank you, Suze. I tried my hand at voiceover as a younger person. I was like, oh, man, wouldn't that be great if I could just do voiceovers? Yeah. Then I could, you know, just not have to do this office job, et cetera. The one time, I guess I did a few, I did a few, but the one time that I really came, like got a call back on like a big thing, Yeah, I w- had been sick. I sort of sounded like you sound now. Oh, and it wasn't right for the part? Well, no, I, the, they loved the sound of the voice. Like your voice right now, it's like husky and mm. there's something so delicious about that texture. I don't mm-hmm. relish the fact that illness gave you that husky uh-huh. texture, but I think they loved that husky texture that I happened to have for one day, <laughs> but it was really apparent that I wasn't that great at voiceover. So they were like, oh, you got that good sound, but- uh. But there's a craft. There's like a real refinement of skill that takes the 10,000 hours. That voiceover game is so- I think some people are what I would consider, I'm using air quotes, naturals, but there's so much craft that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's mm-hmm. I really have a deep, deep abiding respect for people who do it well. Same. Me too. Yeah. You really yeah. can't uh, take for granted the skill of like, not just even sounding right, pronunciation, diction, timing. You were talking about that recently, right? Someone who was like, yeah. I can take a point tenth of a second off. Yeah, my friend Jason Dietz, who was a very successful voiceover career. And when I was going through my voiceover experience, I was like, can you like take a second off a piece of copy during a read? And he's like, I can take a 40th of a second off a piece wow. of copy. And I was like, what? That's the skill. What the Fuck? That's the skill we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed and impressed. Ultimate respect. 10,000 hours, baby. Probably best for me not to start my voiceover career this week. I don't know. I don't know. You may be wildly <laughs> successful. Cams, anything, any little sparklets before we jump into this mess? You know, I was going to say, you mentioned some sparklets last time and I, or a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh no, save it. I'll hit you with a baby sparklet. Okay, give me one. This is something that's been in my spark file for a minute now, and it just makes me laugh <laughs> and I just wanted to share it. So this is something from electricliterature.com and it is a rejection erasure poems by R.L. Mazes. And the title of it is Re Your Submission. Spoiler alert, the news is bad. That's the title of the piece. Oh, no. But it is screen grabs of rejection letters. And then it's erasure poetry, meaning they black out portions of the rejection letter to create a new sentiment. So I want to read you one right now. Amazing. Here's an example. Oh, my God. The, The full passage says, 
This isn't a rejection on your writing. The selection process is highly subjective, something of a mystery even to us. There's no telling what we'll fall in love with, what we'll let get away. But through erasure poetry, what remains is, your writing is a mystery to us. Get away. (laughs) Here's another one. This is just a passage, dot, 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 essay submitted to us carefully, and we delight in publishing both established and emerging writers. Unfortunately, we are not able to accept your work for publication at this time. And via the magic of R.L. Mays' erasure poetry, what remains is, we delight in publishing, unfortunately, not your work. Amazing. Here's another one. We're aware that writing is hard work and that often these letters do not reflect the time and care put into your dot, dot, dot. And what remains is, we're aware that writing is hard and do not care. (laughs) These are amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Anyway, that's just a little sparklet I've had in my um, spark file for about two years. That little chiclet was worth the wait. Today, I favored you with it. And now may I favor you with a full-size entree spark? I'll take it. I'm going to sit back and get ready for this meal. All right, Laura. This is another one of these sparks that is so vast. (laughs) The spark is so overwhelming to me. There is so much that I left on the cutting room floor with this one. Okay. And maybe we'll we'll scoop some of that up in our conversation, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And the other thing about this spark is that... I'm giving you the spark in March of 2023. (laughs) By the time, I guarantee by the time this episode is edited and posted, it will be outdated. That's the other fun thing about this spark. So That's amazing. Yep. That's how fast things are moving. That's how fast things are moving. So last episode, you might recall that I did a spark on aha moments, Mm -hmm. different artists who have experienced big ahas in their creativity and what's happening in the brain when that aha feeling occurs. So full disclosure, when we stopped recording, I told Cam something that I'm now going to share with all of you, (laughs) the research for that entire spark. Almost, almost all the research, almost, was developed in chat GPT based on prompts that I fed chat GPT. So for those of you who haven't heard, chat GPT is basically an AI language model that can process and generate human-like language. It's a type of chat bot that you can interact with using natural, just sort of like language like you and I are using right now. And it's like having a a text conversation with a human. ChatGBT has been trained on a massive amount of text data so it can understand and generate responses on a really wide variety of topics. According to an article in a magazine that I get called The Week, do you know what The Week is? Have you ever read that at my house? Yeah. I love The Week. Oh, I've read it. Yeah. Outside of your house. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how dare you? Um, I love this magazine. My sister got me a subscription because it's sort of, for a, for a busy person on the go, it's sort of an aggregate of all these different newspapers and publications. So you get points and counterpoints. And I, I just love this. So according so to the good. week, ChatGPT 
can write software code, compose poetry and music, and translate 100 languages, just to name a few things that it can do. Oh my God. Wait, say that again. So it, it can translate languages. It can compose poetry and music. It can code software. Like it, and that's just a few things that it can do. We're going to get into other things that it can do as well. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. One chatbot passed a graduate level law and economics exam at George Mason University with neural networks that mimic the function of the brain. Generative AI can create original text, images, or other content of a sometimes startling quality. Okay. Let me just ask you this. It passed the the law exam, but could it defend you in court, Susan? No, but let me be clear. It it didn't like pass the bar. It passed a graduate level law and economics exam. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's important. I'm going to touch on that later. Like as of this moment, and it's going to evolve, the kind of the limitations of it. Okay. But essentially what these programs are doing is sifting through billions and billions of pieces of data, finding patterns and making probability-based decisions about those responses. And as this technology advances, some tech experts believe that AI is going to transform society as dramatically as the smartphone or the internet. And I have to say, I 1 million percent agree. I feel like we are here for the advent of what it must have been like when television was invented. Like this is huge. It's huge. This is huge. And I know I felt like, uh, uh, (laughs) full disclosure, I felt sad when Susan told me that the other night. And I was like, oh man. Mm -hmm. But also I think what I said next was, but we're not going back. We're not going back. So there's not going to be now a life without AI. Well, that's a choice too. That is a choice. Sure. But individual I, choices. But individual society. choices. Societally and globally, I think that this technology, this genie is not going back in the bottle. And I'll and we can talk a little bit later about so what do we make of that? Yeah. And I have to say that I jumped in and learned a little bit about it after that. I mean, I had obviously been sort of playing around in conversations of people telling me about it and stuff. But I distinctly recall in this conversation, I was just thinking like, when computers showed up, like home computers, Apple, my roommate, Tim, hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. Was like the first to get one of those original Apple computers. Yeah, I can picture it. And I was like, oh, for God's sakes, like, do we need this? We've got this typewriter right here. Uh huh. And so it took me years to kind of come to that. And then cell phones, I was very resistant. Like, I don't need to be reached everywhere that I am. And so I waited and waited. And then I didn't actually get one until work gave us all one. Uh huh. At Blue Man, we all got, oh, I think we all got all those like pagers yep. that could text. Yep. And then we had those T Mobiles that were yep. like revolutionary. And then we had, the iPhones. I'm not really an early adapter to technology, mm-hmm. but I'm, I kind of always have that attitude of like, well, let's see if this sticks around. But now at this point, everything's going so fast. It's like, if you don't jump on board and learn this, you won't learn the thing that comes after this. Yeah. I, when I was preparing for this, I saw a thing specifically about l- lawyers, but I think it was using it as an example for other professions as well. You're either going to be a lawyer who uses chat GPT and 
other AI uh-huh. or you're not. And the inference was that you will be left behind. You'll be left behind. But to your earlier point, Oof. we're not to the place where like lawyer Max 2000 is going to be representing you in court. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually. But eventually. Yeah. You combine chat GPT with a robot that can speak. Anyway, Suze, tell us more about it. Beep, bop, boop, bop, beep. Your Honor, I object. Okay, so I just... No one remembers when robots sounded like that, just by the way. Bleep, bop, bleep, bop, bleep. Um, so I asked ChatGPT for fun what some of the downsides of this might be globally, not just in regards to creativity, but according to ChatGPT, here are some of the downsides. Job displacement. As machines become more advanced, they are likely to take over jobs that were previously performed by humans, leading to widespread job displacement. Now, I remember when I was a child and there was great concern. My dad worked in a factory on the assembly line, and there was always this sort of cloud of potential doom that robots were going to take the job of blue-collar laborers. And in some cases... They have. In some cases, yeah. Now we are at a moment, it's a real inflection point where AI will take the jobs of some white collar workers. But there are many jobs, especially in the field of creativity, that I'm like, these robots, uh, we are safe. We are safe. Do you remember that I did, I did a spark on this book called, um, it was about soul craft and this, the woodworking. Yes. Yeah. And do you remember I talked about that and how he predicted years ago, a decade ago, that even though we funnel our quote unquote smart kids into white collar jobs, Uh it will be the blue collar jobs, meaning the jobs where people use their hands, their minds, and their hands Yes, to do something. Yeah, They will be the jobs that are irreplaceable because you can't ask a chat GPT to show up and fix your plumbing right. when your house floods. Right. That's right. You need a human being who can figure this out and do the work. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yes to that and job displacement. Uh, another potential downside, bias and discrimination. AI algorithms can be biased if they are trained on biased data, leading to discrimination against certain groups of people. Oh, So this gets really, I'm going to talk more about this in a second, because, you know, basically it's scraping the internet for information and you know how much fucking trash there is on the internet in all different forms. So this is an example of that. I just want to get the scary stuff out of the way. Okay. Loss of privacy. AI has the potential to collect and store vast amounts of personal data, which could be used for nefarious purposes. Oh my God. Another potential downside, security risks. As AI becomes more prevalent in our daily lives, it also becomes a potential target for cyber attacks. And there are ethical concerns. As AI becomes more intelligent, there is the potential for it to make decisions that are not in line with human values and ethics. And Mm. again, I want to say, and I want to add to this list, something we've already mentioned, which is it is riddled with inaccuracies. So for instance, I asked it to write a bio on me for me Uh and nestled amongst the accurate information 
It said that I was a graduate of the University of Evansville, which I am not, <laughs> that I have an MFA from the University of Texas at Austin, which I do not have. Wow. That in 2013, I received a special Drama Desk Award for my artful devotion to the theater and its community. And apparently, in 2017, I was named one of the 50 most influential women in entertainment by The Hollywood Reporter. Now, none of that stuff is true, but listen to me, Laura Camion. Wow. Because I asked for it, to cite its sources, ChatGPT even provided links. It provided links no. to those sources. And time and again, over and over again, those links looked completely legit, but they were broken 404 dead-end links. And I even researched to try to figure out, well, who was honored by the Drama Desk Awards for their artful devotion to the theater and its community? And I could find nothing. It was like it had just scraped the internet and been like, this looks good, and sort of like made this toss salad of a bio that was largely inaccurate. But I just want to caution folks that misinformation and disinformation are obviously readily present on chat GPT. Now, this is pretty innocuous and easily vetted because I'm me and I can be like, that's not my lived experience. Clearly, that's inaccurate. Mm -hmm. But I just think about all the stuff that isn't as easily vetted. And so I will sparingly use this because I'm not sure what is real yeah. And what is just sort of the derivation of some random scraping of the internet? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of book reports and all the things that people are going to use this for. Well, this is a great point. It can allow students to cheat on papers. And because chat GPT generated essays are original, oh my God. it makes anti-plagiarism software virtually useless. Uh, so you're saying... If someone asked it to write an essay on, you know, the the attributes of Susan Blackwell, yeah. and it wrote it, yep. and then let's say I asked it to do that, I could write that myself, but okay, I asked it to write it, I cut and paste this essay into a thing, and I submit it as my own. Yep. A professor who's like, Laura, did you write this paper on the attributes of Susan Blackwell? They drop it in to see if it's been plagiarized. It will look original. It's generative. It's original. There is a program that I, when I was doing research for this, there is a program that I found that you take an essay, you put it into this program. It can give you a likelihood percentage of whether it was generated by AI. So it, you can put an essay, like paste an essay into it, and it can be like, this is a 90% chance that this was generated by AI. But there's another program that you could take an AI-generated essay, put it into that program, and it's almost like it launders it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I just think about how savvy, how tech savvy young people are. And I'm like, oh, I would not want to be a high school or college teacher right now. They don't stand a chance. Because couldn't I take that same essay, cut and paste it back into ChatGPT and say, can you make this essay sound a little less like it was written by ChatGPT? You can. And, and or if you just keep putting the same prompt in over and over again, it will serve it up in a fresh way and serve it up in a fresh way and serve it up in a fresh way. So you can mix and match. 
I was having a conversation with my sister today as I was writing this. She is an interesting person because she is a scientist by background. She was a chemistry teacher for years and years. She's also a creative writer. And she was saying chat GPT or AI can generate probably like a B grade high school chemistry lab report pretty well, but it can't like the creative writing is not good. And I was like, that's interesting. It's a baby right now. I feel like this AI is in its infancy. I think that it also will get much more sophisticated. Yeah, because it learns. Because it learns. It learns. The robots are learning. Now that we've talked about global potential negative implications of AI, I want to talk about specifically the potential negative implications on creativity and creatives that I think we all need to be aware of. Okay. Firstly, one potential negative impact is the risk of homogenization. As AI algorithms become more prevalent in creative industries, there is a risk that they will begin to generate the same kinds of ideas and styles leading to a homogenization of the creative output, which I really think could limit the diversity of creative expression. It could stifle innovation as artists and designers are less likely to explore their own new and unconventional ideas. Well, counterpoint or counter question. Bring it. I mean, A, that's only if artists all lean on ChatGPT or AI. It could mean that artists with original voices will be valued even more for the uniqueness of their ideas and their vision and their expression. Uh-huh. You should be aware if you plan on leaning on it, what you're going to get is a homogenized kind of answer or structure or script if you're asking it to do script work. But if you don't lean on that, like you could actually fully develop your own voice. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Another potential negative impact is the risk of over-reliance on these AI tools. As they become more sophisticated and more accessible, there's a risk that creatives will become overly reliant on them and rely on these algorithms to generate ideas or solve creative problems, which could, if people do that, if, 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 this could lead to a reduction in individuals' creative autonomy, as well as a loss of the personal inspiration and individuality that makes creative work unique. Where my mind goes with this is I fear and I think that people are going to lose touch with the ability to write, to form well-crafted sentences that are not only just foundationally grammatically accurate, but also that move and inspire people. Like if I went through mm-hmm. high school, college, grad, like if I went through all those critical development times and I was letting AI generate the raw material, and then lightly editing it. I just think about how I write to learn, to improve my speech, to order my thoughts and know my mind. So if I didn't have to learn to write and the robot just churns out my lit essay, it seems like it, oh. it would impact all sorts of like cognitive and creative development. 
Do you know what I mean? 100%. 100%. And it can be the answer to ordering those thoughts for a paper that you need to turn in. But is it helping you learn to order your thoughts before you open your mouth to speak? Right. So there could be a big discrepancy between here's this paper I, I turned in that implies I've given this a lot of thought and I understand how to order and organize these complex thoughts. Yeah. But I open my mouth and you'll find quickly that that's not the case. Yeah. That's tough. I just think how much my brain has developed and my sense of self and self-awareness has developed through my writing through these hands and the brain and the heart sort of working in concert with each other. Your self-expression. Yeah. Yes, Suze. I mean, I think that's really a bit, I think it's a huge risk. And I almost just want to be like, how can we use it for what it's good at and not this creative stuff? Yeah. Listen to Laura Camion when she says this. How can we use this for what this stuff is good at and not accidentally trade our souls for it, not accidentally give up those parts of ourselves and our development that make us uniquely ourselves and develop our own, whether you're a painter or a writer or whatever you are, whatever form your creative self-expression takes, that make you, you. Exactly. That can be like no one else, which makes it all the more exciting because it is so unique to you and not churned out by this bot. Yeah. Another potential risk circles back to that bias piece. Yes, that was scary. Yeah. So AI algorithms, again, are only as unbiased as the data sets that they are trained on. You say data, I say data. I'm not for sure how to pronounce that (laughs) word. I'm going to mix it up throughout this podcast. Data. If those data sets are biased or incomplete, the output generated by the AI will be biased as well, which could perpetuate existing inequalities and biases in art and society, leading to a further lack of diversity and representation in creative output. Potentially the lack of truth. Like I think about what's happening in Florida right now. And I think like, okay, so if anybody decides to give themselves influence on what the AI can even search from, meaning if we cancel all African studies, as they're trying to do in Florida, then what kind of information does this turn out? Completely untrue. Yeah. Uh, There's something that was on the cutting room floor that I'll just go ahead and circle back and share with you. Yeah. Just in terms of things to keep an eye out for. Mm -hmm. So here's another little scary piece. This is again from The Week. AI text generators can quickly create tens of thousands of simulated but hard to detect emails and letters from constituents to lawmakers, letters to editors, and article comments. Shady actors can use AI to spread disinformation, mimicking the work that the Russian Internet Research Agency did during the 2016 elections, but at a much lower cost, higher volume, lower cost. So I I heard that and I was like, oh yeah, that's that is terrifying that you could just clog your either a representative's email inbox or you know in favor of whatever shady bullshit you're trying to get passed through or you could just completely fill social media with disinformation and you know 
that shit is the speed the speed that it could do that with oh the speed at which it generates information it's crazy i mean i can't even yeah. talk as fast as it's scanning information yep. and cranking it out in fully formed sentences just like what it's amazing. Here's another little scary for you. And then I swear we'll, we'll, we'll turn it around, but as much as we can listen, (laughs) because the source of all this information is the internet. This AI scrapes the work of living artists and it incorporates it back into its output. So imagine you're a living fine artist who has spent a lifetime developing your unique artistic style. And because you're a living artist, that work might be up on your website or featured on other sites. And then you discover AI generated art, quote unquote, that still has your signature smeared into the AI generated image. This is happening to artists now. And it's just devastating. No, it's not right. But it is happening. So... Keep your eyes peeled. Well, and I think about just going back to that conversation we had about what it thought it knew about you and how it created your bio. That's all well and good when you're a certain level of famous. If and when you're like at a global level, if it starts to attribute something to you that is incorrect, but in a really bad way. Do you know what I mean? Like a quote could go around thanks to ChatGPT that you did not say. Yeah. And and we're living in a world where people can be canceled. Entire careers can come crumbling down. And what power do you have if you can point back to that and say, I, A, I didn't say this. It's now like circling the globe that I did. I feel like powerless to do anything about it. I actually thought about this when I was writing this because I had this idea for this sort of dystopic scene. And I don't know if it's like, a TV show or a film because I was thinking about the way that once the AI creates something based on the scrapings of the World Wide Web, it it creates a quote, it's misinformation and it is cancelable, like it would devastate somebody's life. Yeah. If that gets continually perpetuated online where it's like, then the AI scrapes it again and it keeps serving it up and serving it up and serving it up. And it sort of multiplies like, uh, like bunnies. And then that becomes the quote unquote truth. Oh my God. Maybe it's an episode of Black Mirror. Maybe it's already been written. I think it is, Suze. I think you've got something there because it's the more it's repeated and we and we all know that that's actually even been a technique. Keep repeating a lie until people just sort of cave and believe like, well, I guess there's some truth to that because I've heard it multiple places. Yeah, yeah. Just another scary is that This, I think, is going to, again, we talked about the risk of job displacement, but let's talk specifically about the risk of job displacement in the creative industry as these AI-powered tools become more prevalent. I do think that it's going to replace human creatives in some roles. The DALI 2 AI, where you put in a text prompt and it generates a series of images. And then you can be like, okay, that's closer. So I'm going to go into that image and further refine and edit it. Uh I just sat here this afternoon. I'll get, I'll share more about it in just a moment. But I was creating imagery that I was like, oh, if I could get a high res version of this, like this is licensable. This is stunning. Oh, 
Yeah. But yet you being the person with integrity, you're like, but I didn't really create that. I took that from someone else's work and made new work. It is some sort of a composition, but based on my prompts. So I'm telling it what to do. I thought you meant based on someone else's work. Like I thought you meant you took an image of someone's work and and manipulated it. Okay. I I entered text in, but, but even that it's an amalgam of, I'm assuming other photographs, artistic styles, artists work like it is an amalgamation of that. So this is the wild, wild West. And Suze, yeah. who regulates it? Is there any regulation on it? You know, I, this is, again, this is a feature of a sprawling spark. I don't know. I think this is, might be another example of where technology has outpaced legislation. And I think that that legislation is going to be galloping to catch up with this. So I don't know the answer to that, Laura, but this is moving so quickly. And I do think that there is some, some attention being paid to the ethics around this. Like I'll see ethics statements on various AI platforms, but this is pure speculation that the team of engineers and the budget that is supporting the engineering of these AI platforms is far greater for those that development piece than it is around like ethics and you know whatever little team is on working on that. We have had the World Wide Web now, the internet since the 2000s. Yeah. And we don't have ethics and regulation figured out for that. So that's not a good sign. No. No, no. <laughs> Because this is this is going to be this AI is an ass rocker. Like it is, it is so big, it is big, but it's here to stay. So it's up to us, each of us, I think, to decide how to engage with it. I've said this before. I'm sure I've said it on the podcast. I believe that technology is like any element, like fire. You can light and warm the house with it, or you can burn the house down, like water. You can hydrate with it, you need it to live, or you can drown in it. It all depends on how it is used. As you know, here at The Spark File, we define creativity as applied imagination that fights for the powers of good. So that is the intention that I'm holding in my heart It for my part, for my participation with this. So I just wanted to have said that. Yes. And I wanted to share a little bit of the learning that I discovered while sparking through all of this AI tech. As you may have picked up from the conversation we've been having, or maybe not, let me just say it outright. It's all about the prompts. Right now with ChatGPT and with uh, like Dolly 2, which is an image generator, with so many of these platforms where you input a prompt, text prompt, it is all about the prompt. So for instance, with ChatGPT, you can improve the output of your prompts by starting with phrases like, pretend you're a blank expert. Like you could put in, pretend you're a social media expert. And then whatever problem you're trying to solve or whatever research you're trying to access, ChatGPT will be more in depth if you asked it to pretend like it's an expert. Another approach is to ask it to pretend that it's a consultant. That will give you a more in-depth answer. Oh my gosh. And yet another idea is to tell ChatGPT to play 
devil's advocate. So for instance, this is a prompt that I recently plugged into chat GPT. Pretend you're a consultant specializing in helping small businesses grow. Devise a plan for us to grow our podcast listenership to 10,000 downloads per month. Note that our podcast focuses on creativity and creatives. Play devil's advocate in that business plan. Then it served me up five ideas and it played devil's advocate too. So it said, here's an idea. Here's the downside of this idea. I thought it was interesting, but I will tell you, even when I tried to get it more in depth, there's limits. It's a little like my sister's assessment that it's like, well, this is like a B grade high school chem lab report. It was a little bit like that. And I'll show it to you, Laura, when we're off mic and you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. But still interesting. I'm so intrigued. I'm like, I need to know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll download on it. Okay. Prompts also play a key role in a program like Doll E2, which is, for those of you who are uninitiated, Doll E2 is an artificial intelligence program developed by OpenAI that generates images from text descriptions. And it uses a combination of, of natural language processing and generative modeling to create a unique and sometimes very realistic image based on user input via text. And this program was trained on a massive data set of images and text, and it is capable of generating a wide range of images, including animals and objects and landscapes and scenes. And Laura Camion, have you played at all with Dali too? No. I'm just like, wait, there's more? They're multiplying. I played with it all afternoon. <laughs> Friends, if you want to play with it, it's spelled D-A-L-L-E and then the number two. And I, I'm mildly addicted to this. You know, Laura, I like to paint monsters into existing thrift store paintings. Yes. Yeah. My Put a Monster in It series. And yes. I was using Dolly 2 to conceptualize all sorts of new monsters. I did a whole series of our Chihuahua POTUS that turned out great. And as I got better using the prompts, the output got better and better. And I think I'm going to use some of them as a basis for a gift for my husband who has a very deep bromance with our dog POTUS. Oh my God. It is super fun. But again, the key, maybe I'll share some of that artwork. It could be the key art for this episode of the podcast. Maybe, I don't know. That would be amazing. Oh, I'd love that. It's pretty cute. Um, The key again with prompt-based AI is getting that prompt calibrated. And I wanted to share a great resource that I found online. It's a PDF called the Dolly 2 prompt book. I'm sure people just call it Dolly 2. It's about 82 pages and it really helps you learn how to craft a really, really good prompt. So for instance, prompts that yielded great results for me included an ivory chihuahua with a white chest, pink nose, white marking on forehead, and a flower crown painted by Johannes Vermeer. And if you just adjust that to painted in the style of Cezanne, it yields a completely different, awesome piece of art. No way. Yeah. Yeah. These prompts are so important that there are now actually marketplaces where people sell 
prompts. Oh my God. So if you don't have time to learn to write or to learn to paint, and you don't even have time to learn how to craft a prompt to generate a piece of writing or an image of a painting, you can just throw some cash at it. All of this seems so depressing to me. Like, I feel like those people that can't even take the time to learn how to write an AI prompt are going to end up like on that vessel in Wally, those people that are just sloshing around. Oh, Come God. on, people. Come on. Sue's like, it's like, it's so, it's funny and I want to cry. I know. I know. Because all the concerns that we expressed just a moment ago, despite all of them, if you put your mind to learning how to ask for a prompt or what prompt to use, you are still developing that muscle in your mind to be like uh, discerning yeah. and specifying exactly what my vision is and what words can I use That's right. to result in my vision being accomplished. Yeah. So that is a skill. And now you're telling me there's some other site that's going to do that for you. It's such fucking bullshit. You know that I actually this afternoon, just for funsies researching this, I asked ChatGPT to generate a prompt for me for Dolly 2. So I was like, give me a prompt. Uh, And I gave it a little bit of instruction, but not much, a little bit. And then I plugged it in to Dolly 2 to generate an image. And it did not turn out well. Like the robots were not- Robot to robot. Robot robot on robot violence. It was was not cute. It was not cute. I fed ChatGPT this prompt today. Pretend like you're an AI and creativity expert. Will programs like ChatGPT or Dali ever experience aha moments? Oh. And it responded, as an AI language model, I don't possess the ability to experience aha moments in the same way that humans do. However, AI programs like ChatGPT and Dolly are constantly improving through machine learning algorithms that allow them to refine their processes and produce more advanced outputs. It's important to note that AI programs are still limited by their programming and data inputs and may not possess the same level of intuition, insight, and imagination that humans have. As AI technology continues to advance, it is possible that we may see more sophisticated and creative outputs, but it is unlikely that these programs will ever truly experience aha moments in the same way that humans do. And I was like, that's right, little robot. That's right. I will say, and I said this to you last week when I revealed that I had done some research on ChatGPT for my aha spark. Mm -hmm. In the creative context, I really view it more like clay on the wheel. It's like working with a very fast, often inaccurate, a little deeper than surface level biased researcher or Photoshopper. Do you know what I mean? Like, Kind of. Well, as you get into it more, I think you'll see that it's sort of like they'll get better. It's like having a help help researching basically. But you have to take all of it with a grain of salt because that research may be complete trash. Like uh, per my inaccurate bio, I just think that these technologies are in their infancy and they will continue to become more and more sophisticated. 
But I've spent the last few weeks playing with AI and I haven't burned the house down yet and the robots haven't come for me. Well, that part is good, but you know what you just described was much more subtle and potentially damaging consequences, but they won't be visible like the house burning down. They will be in like, and, and you know, a whole different spark is about the dumbing down of America, which people started to talk about 15, 20 years ago. And here we are. And, and where are we going with all of this? Yeah. Yeah. It raises so many issues, concerns, and possibilities. But again, I feel like it's elemental and it's largely dependent on how people engage with it. And I think more than ever, we have to take everything with a grain of salt believe nothing with your eyes between AI and deep fakes and, you know, mis and disinformation. Like, I just think that really, really question your sources now more than ever. I also think that there's some jobs that AI will never be able to replace. If you're a stand-up comic, I think your job is safe. And before we go, I just want to share this joke with you. This is the best joke. I've tried <laughs> so many ways to get decent comic material out of chat GPI because writing hard jokes is, you know, that's a whole thing. And this is the best joke <laughs> in my assessment it could come up with. Okay. Some of the jokes were so insane and Frankenstein together. I was like, what the fuck does this even mean? It was so bad. It doesn't understand comedy. Yeah. The more nuance I tried to get out of it, the just more bizarre the Frankenstein became. So the joke is, what do you call a dog magician? A labracadabrador. <laughs> it's a good joke. It's a good joke, right? I had to do a lot of work to get to that joke. Oh, my God. I want to close out the episode with the work of an artist named Holly Herndon. Holly is a musician and a composer who incorporates artificial intelligence and machine learning into her work. And she is also the founder of Holly Plus, which is an AI program that she developed in collaboration with a team of researchers and developers. The Holly Plus program is designed to allow performers and musicians to collaborate with AI in real time to generate new sounds and musical compositions. And it is said that Herndon's work with Holly Plus represents a cutting edge exploration of the intersection between music, AI, and human creativity. So essentially, you can put a piece of music into Holly Plus, and if I understand the conceit correctly, her voice will then voice the music and create harmonies against the music. Oh. But I will tell you, due respect to this amazing work that Holly Herndon is doing, to me, yeah. it sounded pretty haunted and digitally distorted. Okay. So with that... Are you going to play some? We're going to close out with the Sparkfile theme song as processed through the AI of Holly no Plus. No way. So that's no, it. This episode of The Spark File was made of the lands of the Lenape people. And as <laughs> always, we hope to put another bunch of sparks in your file. If there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. 
This is amazing. We will even take your feedback and happily so, but you know the price of admission. First, you got to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really helps other listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, we do hope that you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, may the robot spirit you away in the night. If something lights you up and gets your creative sparks flying, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and And make make it. it. Bye. Wow, Susan. Haunted. Amazing. This is haunted music. Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.